passionately in love with Jesus. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit. People who are committed to following him steadfastly. As we glorify God, as we equip the saints, as we make disciples who multiply. And you know, I think that churches all over America have kind of forgotten uh, the immense power of the Holy Spirit. I think that churches all over America have forgotten what it's like to be passionately in love with Jesus, okay? And I think that there's a lot of people who are playing church that are going to church every Sunday and they're not in love with Jesus. Many Christians have forgotten what a passionate love for Jesus coupled with a great power from the Holy Spirit can do to a community around them. Those two things can shape the world. So today I want to learn from the explosiveness of this early church that took place, uh, much like the song that we just sang about or sang. Uh, I want to learn from these early Christians who didn't have much but a passionate love for Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And look what God did with just a few. And I pray today that these lessons and these examples that we learn uh, will shape us to be Christians who love Jesus and uh, to be Christians who seek to make an impact for God's kingdom on the world around us. Let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. So, uh, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were, continuing, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. Um, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to stand behind your pulpit and to preach. And God, I just pray that you would ready the hearts. Um, that you would write in my mouth even. God, that you would get me out of the way, that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit. And that um, the hearts of the hearers that are, that are listening tonight or this, this morning would be softened, that their ears would be open, that their eyes would see your spiritual truths, God, that you would move in this place uh, with just a few people, Lord, that we, that we could turn the world upside down, but not by ourselves, but through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through your power, God, and through a passionate love for Jesus. I pray that you would teach us to to be uh, devoted to you, to continue steadfast, to change the world, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so this brings me to my first point. If we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 40, I'll go ahead and read. Um, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And the first point is, is uh, it's all about Jesus. And you might not see that in that verse, but if we were to back up and look at the whole of Peter's sermon, it's this Christ-centered, expositional, beautiful message, right? It's all about Jesus. These first Christians were not concerned with anything else but Jesus. And so as we look at Peter, for instance, his love for Jesus is so paramount, it's so extreme, it's so important that it trumps everything else in life, even his own safety. 
You know, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit and passionately in love with Jesus. If you didn't know, that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. Um, the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter stands up and gives this amazing message. But he stood up and he delivered one of the most iconic and one of the most monumental sermons ever proclaimed. It, uh, bar none, it'd be hard to top that one. And we ask this, who's his audience, Right? It's the very Jews that delivered Jesus to the, to the cross, right? And we see this in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. So if you want to look over there, it should be on your next page. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you, just as you yourselves know, this man... Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. What daring, magnificent, and steadfast love for Jesus it is to preach the gospel to the very ones who killed Jesus. What bravery, right? What courage. It only happened through the Holy Spirit. Peter's doing more than just filling the air with empty words. Peter is preaching, and he's preaching like a preacher ought to preach. Listen to how he commands attention. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. He grabs a hold of his audience by saying, listen to me. Listen to what God has to say. He's preaching like a good preacher, right? And then in verse 22... Men of Israel, hear these words. In verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know. He's giving them application. He's exhorting them. He's testifying. What exactly is Peter calling them to know? What exactly is Peter calling them to hear when he says, men of Israel, hear these words? Peter's calling the house of Israel to know Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. He's the central point of everything that we do. He's calling them to know the one who died for their sins. He's calling them to know the one who changed his life forever. He's saying, look at Jesus and look what he did to me. He's calling them to know Jesus Christ, the Messiah, attested by God through signs and miracles and wonders. He's calling them to know that Jesus, who fed 5,000, who raised Lazarus from the dead, who walked on water, who gave the blind sight and made the lame to walk. He's calling them to know this Jesus. Amen. Right? He's calling them to know the foreordained suffering of Jesus. That God always had a plan to save sinners. He's calling them to know the crown of thorns, every drop of blood. He's calling them to know the nail-pierced hands, the nail-pierced feet of Jesus. He's calling them to know the bloody cross, the bloody cross where atonement was made for the sins of the world. He's calling them to know the grave that could not keep him. He's calling them to know the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us a promise of eternal life. Amen? He's calling them to know the love of God displayed on, uh, through Christ on the cross. It's all about Jesus, right? It all begins here at this point. That's when eternal life begins, the moment that you trust Jesus. Eternal life begins now, the moment that you trust Him. So if, if what we are doing is not Christ-centered, if, if what we're doing is not all about Jesus, if the message we proclaim is not about Jesus, then we're in it for all the wrong reasons, right? And the love that drives us is not a love for Jesus. 
What's your motives today? What's my motives? Test my heart, Lord. Because I want you to know that Jesus is the reason. He's the starting point for everything that we do. And is he the starting point for everything that you do? And in the same way this morning, I cry out like Peter in in verse 40, to be saved from this perverse generation. I call out to you to know Jesus, the one whom the Jews crucified, the one whom God made both Lord and Christ, the one who took your name to the cross. It's all about Jesus and it has nothing to do with us. And I'll say it one more time. It's all about Jesus, right? Hopefully it sinks in and you can walk out of here today saying it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. So ask this question, how in love with Jesus are you? Are you in love with Jesus as much as you love that man or woman sitting next to you? Are you in love with Jesus? You should love him more than anything, more than life, right? Would you get out of your comfort zone today and know Jesus? Would you stand up in passionate love, much like Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost and tell others about the Jesus that came and lived and died and rose again for you? Would you do that? Peter, a man who loved Jesus more than his own life, preached the gospel and witnessed 3,000 souls come to be saved and baptized all in one day. Magnificent, right? Glorious. What a move of the Holy Spirit for that to happen. This brings us to our second point. Dead to self, or maybe giving all to follow Christ could be another one. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. I want you to think about this. I want you to get this picture in your head, okay? There's people standing there in a crowd, a crowd... 10 times the crowd of this, 10, 20 times the crowd of this uh, that we have here today. There's people standing out there in this crowd. Some of them, the one that shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Some of those people are there. Peter's preaching this Christ-centered, monumental, iconic sermon. He's calling them to repent. He's calling them to be saved, right? And in a moment, they're cut to the heart, as verse 37 says. They received his word with gladness. They repent. Now they stand in line. They're waiting to be baptized. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people standing in line. One after another, after another, after another. The whole world's watching. The whole world's watching. One after another. Immersed in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Raised to walk in newness of life. They go out in another one. Dip them for dead. Raised to walk in newness of life. And another one. Raised to walk in newness of life. Over and over and over again. 3,000 times. Do you see that picture in your head? The ones who disapprove. They're standing on the sidelines over here with their arms crossed. They don't, and those who are being baptized. They don't care. They don't care that they disapprove. They don't care that their life is in jeopardy. They want the whole world to know that they desperately love the one who died in their place. They want everyone to know that they too have died to their self. That they'll live forevermore in the power of the Holy Spirit for our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. They want everyone to know that they are dead to their old ways. Dead to their flesh. 
They want the whole world to know that they love Jesus and they're committed to following Him. Nothing's going to stop them. I love Jesus the Messiah. Think what you want. I'm buried with Him in death and I'm raised to walk in newness of life. And the whole world know. Have you let the whole world know? And brothers and sisters, this is what we believe about baptism. As born again children of God, we declare in our baptism, Romans 6, chapter 4, that we're buried with him uh, in death and we're raised to walk in newness of life. We're professing that we love Jesus. We're professing that there's no love greater than the love that God has for me and that I have for him. We're professing outwardly the inward change that he has made in us and that we are dead to ourselves and that we are made alive in Christ. That's what we're saying, right? And I want you guys to know this, that Jesus doesn't want half-wet followers, right? He wants people who are fully immersed and committed to following him on every level. And that analogy has nothing to do with water. He wants people who are fully immersed in his blood. For what does Luke 14, 27 say? Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be, his own, cannot be my disciple. Amen. What's the cross an instrument of? Death. The cross isn't a good thing. It's good for us, maybe, but it's not a good thing. The cross is death. He wants people who are willing to die for their own desires and their motives. He wants people to die to their own desires and motives. He wants followers who are willing to die for His name's sake. Are you willing to die? He wants followers that love Him and will tell the whole world about Him no matter the cost, right? Like Peter standing up against all those who shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Peter stood up and preached the gospel. Would you do the same? It's these types of people who passionately love Jesus, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are dead to themselves, that flip the world upside down. These followers that Jesus wants are fully immersed in the blood of Christ. They're dead to themselves. Are you one of these today? Are you one of those today? Has there been a moment in your life that you received the word spoken by somebody who was so passionately in love with Jesus? Has there been a moment in your life that you opened the Bible and, and read God's word written by people who were desperately in love with Jesus? Has there been a time in your life that one or these two things happened and you were cut to the heart in conviction? You received the word. You repented from your sins. You were saved. That hasn't happened to you. I beg you, please listen that Jesus died for sinners. To save sinners from the wrath of God. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a great promise, right? If God's drawing you to Him, would you please call on Jesus today? If you're being convicted, cut to the heart. If you're just a big mess and you're hearing me talk about this Jesus who died for your sins and you're saying, I want that. I want that. I want peace. Please don't walk out of here today without loving Jesus, believing in faith and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit, receiving that seal. If you're saved and you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, if you've never told the whole world that you're dead yourself and that you are alive in Christ, then please come and talk to us. Please, please, please. And allow us to talk with you about getting baptized. Please, please step out and let us know that I want to follow Jesus. Okay, come talk to me after this. So Peter's passionate love for Jesus, coupled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
led to a Christ-centered sermon that brought thousands of people to salvation and to follow the Lord and baptism. But where did they go from there? Is that the end of it, that you believe in, in Christ, make Christ the center of your life, you get baptized, and now we're good, right? And you walk around and tell everybody, oh, I'm saved, I got baptized, the Waymaker, last week. Is that where it stops? No, it's not where it stops. Where did they go from here? Look at verse 42 through 47. They show us multiple ways that these early Christians uh, continued steadfastly in their love for Jesus. And I'll read it real quick, but we don't have time to look at every single one of them this week. And we'll look at more of them next week, okay? So uh, 42 through 47 says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thank you, Lord. But I want to point out two major areas that these love-struck, spirit-filled, dead-to-self, daring, captivated, committed, fully immersed early Christians continued steadfastly in their love for Jesus. Just two, two major areas to this, this morning. Uh, and, and the first, uh, it, it is a, in Acts 2.42, it's a devotion to the word and fellowship. And we see that, let me read it again just so you know it. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So they had a devotion to the word. They had a devotion to fellowship. These early Christians who loved Jesus continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So what was so important about the apostles' teaching then? Why was it that they had um, this special kind of authority? What was so important about it? Well, there was no Bibles at this time, okay? The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down, he came down with tongues of fire, right? But what didn't come down? A nice leather-bound NASB did not drop from heaven right down in their laps, okay? And then we just had to complete the Word of God. That's not how it went down, okay? So they received special revelations. No, no, no New Testament scriptures were actually recorded during this chapter of Acts yet, right? So in order to grow spiritually... The, the uh, early Christians had to have uh, instructions from God revealed in some way. And how were those instructions, how were those words from God revealed? So God ordained for his word to be made known as he spoke through the apostles, giving them special revelation that was infallible and true, okay? And then this revelation was the word of God, and it is the word of God. What's the writings in the New Testament? Paul makes up 14 books of the New Testament. He's an apostle, right? Direct revelation from God, right? Inspired by God. God speaking through different men, 40 different authors, and we'll hit that here in a minute. It's the scriptures. It's essentially what we have today. You know, these first Christians were so in love with Jesus, they sought to more, know more of what God had to say every single day. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They linked arms together. They assembled together in homes and everywhere else that they went just to learn more about the Jesus that they so desperately loved. They wanted to know more about the God who saved their life, who, who saved them from His own wrath, who sent His Son to die for them in their place. 
They want to know more about him. They learned daily from the apostles. They listened. They were attentive. They wanted to grab a hold of God all the more. They were devoted to the word of God, wherever and however they could get it. I want to draw to your mind an example in the book of Acts, and, and you see the apostle Paul, and he's long-winded, right? Uh, he, he's preaching at, at night, and he goes ahead, and he's preaching all throughout the night. So, and these people want to hear it so bad that there's a homeboy sitting in the windowsill over here, right? And he's just sitting back, and he's listening to what the apostle Paul has to say, so much so that he falls asleep because it's so late at night. He falls out the window, and he falls down dead. The apostle Paul had miraculous gifts and healing, and went and resurrected that dude from dead to life, brought him back to life. He's alive. He's well. But the point of the matter is that the Apostle Paul preached all night long. Okay? He sat in the windowsill all night long to hear what God had to say. Many of us wouldn't sit in these chairs for more than an hour. If I go past 1030, you're done and you've checked out. Amen? Amen. Many of you guys close your Bibles and you don't open it up. Uh, don't open it up throughout the week. Many of us don't do that, Right? None of us are going to hit it perfect. None of us is going to hit a home run. But what's your heart really like? You check in a box, showing up because you have to be here. Would you sit all night long through some preaching? Man, give us that desire. Give us that love, Lord. I know I need it. Do you need it? I need it. So brothers and sisters, we who are passionately in love with Jesus We'll seek to continue steadfastly in God's word. We'll seek to grow in spiritual maturity through the reading of God's word. How can we come to know more about God if we don't open up the 66 book love letter that he wrote to us? How? How can we seek to know more about God if we don't read his book? We'll seek to sit under preaching that is centered in God's word. We'll seek to sit under preachers who says, thus says the Lord. Now, if you go to a church and all they do is they flippantly throw out their three awesome stories about their family and their golf game last week and then they hit the road. You better hit the road too, Jack. You better get out of there because you need to sit under preaching that is Christ-centered. That's going to say, thus says the Lord. And this is what Jesus has to say. They, you, better, you better sit under preaching that talks about Jesus. Every line and every verse points to Jesus. So you better sit under preaching that points to Jesus, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the Word of God, the Bible that I'm holding in my hand, written by over 40 different authors on various different continents over the course of thousands of years, is infallible and it's perfect, okay? You're not going to find one error. You're not going to find one contradiction. You're not going to find one lie. It's God's complete major story. His, it, it, it's, it's one major story of God's plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, okay? There's not an error in there. It's, it's uh, each verse validating the next. It's literally breathed out by God. That's what that word means when it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. The ESV actually has it right when it says that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That Greek word means that it comes from the innermost being of God and comes out through the apostles, right? It's God's Word. And there's no lie or sin in God, so how can His Word be, have any lie or contradiction in it? 
It's profitable for equipping every man and every woman of God into maturity, unto maturity. And I want to see us here at Waymaker Baptist Church of people so passionately in love with Jesus that we have a hunger to devour the Bible like a lion devouring its prey, ripping it from limb to limb. I want to see Bibles that are worn out. I want to see us continually steadfast. I want to see us continuing steadfastly in the Word of God that we listen to it, that we read it, that we meditate on it, that we pray it, that we talk about it everywhere we go. I want to see us here at Waymaker Baptist Church flip the world upside down. Do you think that we can do that? We can because we have a love for Jesus Christ, because we're filled with the Holy Ghost, because we're committed to dying daily, because we're committed to growing in maturity. I know that about you folks. You guys are committed. Let's go flip the world upside down. Amen. Are you ready? Let's go. You guys are just that kind of people. You're filled with the Spirit. You're an awesome church. You're willing to do anything for Jesus. Step out. Put your neck on the line. I know that about you folks. I want to see us here at Waymaker Baptist Church who are committed to gathering together on more days than just Sunday. I want to hear of homes being opened. I want to hear of Bible studies being started. I want to hear of coffee shops being taken over in the name of Jesus. I want to hear of discipleship happening. I want to hear the sweet sound of the pages of the Bible turning every Sunday when I say, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I want to see Bibles bore out. I want to see holes on our jeans from praying. I want to hear of friends becoming family. I want to see true fellowship in our church. I want to see unity. I want to see love. It's unprecedented. I want to see us give our shirts off our back for one another. I want to see Jesus in every one of you. Amen. Just please listen up as I close. Who do we want to be as Waymaker Baptist Church? We want to be a people who are filled with the Holy Ghost, who have a passionate love for Jesus, who are committed to dying to ourselves, right? We want to see a people who hunger for God's word and seek to fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Who do we want to be as Christians? That's it. We want to be the mirror image of these early Christians who loved Jesus, right? We want to be a mirror image of Peter and Paul and every one of those 3,000 in the crowd who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who died to their self, who told the whole world, I don't care what you think, I'm living for Jesus, right? We want to be a mirror image of those who sought to continue steadfastly after Jesus. Can we be those people? Yes, we can because we're filled with the whole, with the Holy Ghost, the same Spirit that they were filled with. Amen. God used ordinary men and ordinary women and empowered them astronomically in ways that we can't even fathom, guys. God exploded this church and brought a movement that was unprecedented and unprecedented in glory even to this day. They all had one thing in common, as I alluded to earlier. They all loved Jesus, right? They all were filled with the Holy Spirit and they all continued steadfastly, flipping Jerusalem and Judea on its edge. Amen. What happens when spirit-filled people who love Jesus seek to flip the world upside down for the gospel? What's going to happen? The world's going to get flipped upside down. It says in the book of Acts when Paul and and Timothy and Silas, I believe it was, they showed up to Thessalonica, I want to say. No, maybe. I can't remember exactly where it was, so I'm sorry. But they show up to a place and they said, those who have flipped the world upside down are here. (laughs) What would they say if you walked in a room? They say the same thing. Ron, who's flipped the world upside down, he's here. 
He's doing it for the name of Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, right? He loves the Lord, right? Are they going to say that about you, brother? I hope so, too. What happens when spirit-filled people who love Jesus seek to, or seek to flip the world upside down for the gospel? Well, they devour the word. They seek to lock arms in fellowship. They remember the Lord in communion and baptism. They sell their belongings. They give to one another in need. They proclaim the gospel everywhere they go. They live a holy life above reproach. They try to imitate Jesus. They want to be who they love the most. They want to be Jesus, right? They, they put Jesus first. They seek to mirror him. And know that in His grace, He's forgiving when we don't add up all the way. We continue steadfast, continuing steadfastly for Jesus shapes communities. It flips the world upside down. So if we continue steadfastly here in this neighborhood, think what could happen. Could you imagine that? They were lined up at the gates waiting to come in this church because they wanted what we had. Passionate love for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray that God would send a move like that to this place? Again, I say, what is our purpose, Christians? Who are we, Waymaker? Do you love Jesus? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you continuing steadfastly? What if we live passionately in love with Jesus every single day? What if we put him first and we loved him the most? What if we remembered the power of the Holy Spirit? What if you got up in the morning and you said, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I know the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm putting on that power today. Because we, we, we forget, guys. We forget. We need to remember. What if we gave it all to follow Christ and continued steadfastly? Lastly, what if we picked up our cross and we followed him? What if we picked up our cross and we became his disciples? So, Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for these beautiful examples that we have in the book of Acts. Thank you for Peter. And we think about who Peter once was, a man who denied you three times, a man who allowed his mouth to get ahead of him every single time, a man, a man who was a coward, a man who was a fighter and a drunkard. But that day of Pentecost, when you filled him with the Holy Ghost, the old Peter fell away. He stood up a new man. And, he, and for once, his mouth didn't get him in trouble. And he used it for the purpose that you predestined him for. And he preached the word of God. He preached Christ crucified. Christ risen. Thank you for Peter. We thank you that you would use him. That your Holy Spirit would shape and mold him into exactly who you've intended him to be. And I pray the same thing in this place tonight, or this, this morning. That your Holy Spirit would fill people who have no Holy Spirit. That you would, the old them would fall away this morning. That the new them would be raised to walk in newness of life. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to just be passionately in love with Jesus. And the way that we can be passionately in love with Jesus is by declaring to the whole world that we're dead to ourselves, that we're raised to walk in newness of life, that, that we can be passionately in love with Jesus when we read our Bibles every day, when we fellowship with one another, when we talk about Jesus, we share the gospel, we're passionately in love with Jesus this way. So I pray that you would remind us, bring us back to our first love. May it never get dull or old. The love that we have for Jesus, oh Lord, would you come this morning? Would you draw people to you? Father, thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.